0: We ask for what we think we can achieve. We ask for what we think we can settle at. We don't ask for what we dream of. And we end up, and this is this is criminal now, we end up diluting our dreams and passions and going for what we think we can get.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I cannot wait for you to hear today's episode because I'm sitting down with the legend Steve Sims. Now, a lot of you already know who Steve is, but if you don't, he is this Irish East London raised bricklayer turned real life wizard of Oz. At least that's what Forbes Magazine calls him. And by that, I mean, he is the man behind the curtain pulling all the strings to make magical experiences happen happen. I'm talking once-in-a-lifetime experiences. He's worked with celebs like Sir Elton John and Elon Musk, and the names go on and on and on. And he's even sent people down to like see and tour the wreck of the Titanic. He has closed museums in Florence for a private dinner party at the feet of the famous statue of David. He's arranged for introductions and experiences that you could never even dream up. He's the man that makes all this happen. Now, what I love is Steve teaches you how he does this in his incredible book called Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. And that's really what this episode is about. No matter what it is that you're trying to make happen, we talk a lot in this interview about thinking big, unapologetically asking for what you want, navigating and finding the right people so that you can accomplish and get what you want. And best of all, using those amazing skill sets to make a positive difference in the lives of of other people who need it as well. And speaking of making a positive difference, don't forget, Lori and I have created a small business grant for all of you entrepreneurs. Whether you're a solopreneur, a stay-at-home mom or dad trying to get a business started, whether you're a two-person shop, a three-person shop, we are trying to help the small businesses that got skipped over by the stimulus that was meant for Main Street, but never quite made it there. Small business has been so good to Lori and I through our masterminds, through our e-courses, through our trainings, through our events, that we want to be good right back to small business. So we created a $20,000 small business grant. We are giving you $1,000 to 20 different businesses over the course of 10 weeks. As long as you make less than $750,000 a year, you can apply. So text the word grant to me, and I'll shoot you the link back at 310 421 zero four one six. Seriously, text me. Just text me the word grant to three one zero four two one zero four one six. And I'll shoot you the link right back. It takes less than five minutes to apply and you will be in the running. Once you apply once by the way, you're in the running all 10 weeks. You'll be in the running for one of the twenty one thousand dollar grants that we are giving to small businesses that deserve to catch a break. So text the word grant to me at three one zero four two one zero four one six that's how I will know to shoot you the application right back. All right. So get ready. Because if you are in a position where you're trying to make things happen, you're about to learn an awful lot how to do that. This is an amazing episode. Get ready. Take some notes. Here we go. All right. Steve Sims, my friend, it is an honor to have you on the show. How are you doing? I am, I'm pleased to be here. It's a pleasure. I'll tell you what, people are in store for a really cool conversation because your career has been based on doing really cool, like one-of-a-kind things for, for human beings. And uh, matter of fact, before we get to that, I want to start with some rapid fire. It's a fun way for my listeners to get to know you in a hurry. And then if some of those things come up, we'll circle back around on them. Does that sound good? Ed, fine, let's go for it. All right, so real easy. Where'd you grow up? London, East London. And where do you live now? Uh, Topanga up in the hills You and I are (laughs) almost neighbors I'm Santa Monica Favorite quote Oh, there you go No one ever drowned by falling in the water They drowned by staying there Oh, I love that What is one of your superpowers? Ignorance (laughs) Ignorance is bliss sometimes, isn't it? Aside from your own What's one of your favorite books? Probably at the moment Chris Voss never split the difference Yeah, that's a good one He was on the show a while back What's one of your favorite accomplishments so far? It's got to be family Mm, For sure, man And then uh, last but not least, what are you grateful for today?
0: Oh, being able to wake up. Yeah,
1: Yeah, you and me both, especially all things considered. So now I really do want to dive into what I opened up with, and that is you're a concierge of sorts, but not a regular concierge. (laughs) You are like an epic, once-in-a-lifetime experience, mission-impossible type of concierge. Can you kind of give us an idea of what you do? Um, I got a
0: couple married in the Vatican by the Pope. I closed down a museum in Florence so they could have a private table at the feet of Michelangelo's David. Halfway through their meal, I had Andrea Bocelli come in and serenade them. I've arranged drum lessons with Guns N' Roses. Uh, guitar lessons was easy top. Sent people down to the wreck of the Titanic up to the International Space Station. Had them on walk-on balls, on movies. Should we go on? That's
1: insane. <laughs> okay, so... The, it, it, It brings up this question. You speak a lot about failure and and it being temporary. Have you ever failed trying to put together a request? Millions of times, but
0: you'll never know it. And the reason you'll never know it is because I have always said, I'm never going to give a client what they ask for. I'm going to give them what they lust for and desire for. So many times people will come to me and I'll be like, well, that's good. I'm going to aim stratospherically further than that. And quite often I've failed. But by the time I've actually achieved something, it's already 20 miles above the goal that they first envisaged.
1: So have I failed? Yes. Have I ever superseded what the client expected? Every single time. Was there ever something that you really wanted to pull off and you thought you had it and, and it kind of fell apart? Are you willing to share one?
0: Um, no. Um, because anyone that's ever stubbed that toe, hurt a nail, got a tattoo, broke a, broke a bone... We've never remembered what that pain feels like. We have, the, humanity has a way of forgetting what the pain is. I hate needles. Mm-hmm. I absolutely hate needles. Yet I've got loads of tattoos. And every time I get a tattoo, I'm like, "Ack, that hurts. I'm never doing that again. And then six months later, I'll be like, oh, I fancy that. And I'll completely forget the pain that it gave me the time before. So I've never remembered the failures that I've had. Yeah. I've remembered the ones that I went for, like, the um, closing down an entire museum in Florence—that was my holy grail—and I went for it, thinking, "Okay, what's going to be my backup?" What's, so when they said yes, I was like, uh, "Sorry, did you say yes?" You know, I was amazed when I approached the Vatican to get married there. I was like, "Well, if this doesn't work, where else could?" I? And they went, "Okay," and I, went, "Excuse me," you know. So, I've there's been many times that I've achieved things that even I didn't think I was going to get. And then I've gone, holy crap. But the failures of education, the dark times, the fall downs, you never really feel and can relate and hold on to that pain. You've just got to remember it and try to get as much growth out of it as possible.
1: I think one thing I love about you is you're not afraid to ask for anything. And I preach on the show all (sighs) the time. You get what you ask for, right? So you better be careful what you're asking for. Where do you get the courage the balls, the limitless thinking to ask for these absurd things to happen.
0: Oh, well, that's why, you know, and I wasn't kidding when you said, what's my superpower? And I said ignorance. It was my wife that said that if I was a superhero, my cape would say he's ignorant because he's, if you think about kids, they want something and they bombard you with the ask until they get it. You know, which as parents, we eventually end up with, because I told you so now go to your room as our Mm -hmm. cop-out. As an Irish lad growing up in East London, I was ignorant to anything. People would go, oh, that guy's famous. And I'd be like, oh, okay. And I'd walk up and I'd go, hello, you're famous. You know, it would just be something that I would inherently do. And if you're with your kids, your kids will do it. But as parents, we we bash it out of them. Mm -hmm. You know, we almost bring in our fear and trepidation to them to go, oh, no, you can't do that. Well, why can't you? Here's a, here's a test that you can understand the power of ignorance. If you say to someone, hey, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do? And people will turn around and they'll go, oh, I'd like to play piano without John. And then they will spend the next 20 to 30 to maybe one minute telling you all the reasons why they can't. They go, oh, I'd love to do that, but I don't know him. Yeah, Why would he want to do that with me? I'm not connected. I can't. We spend so much focus on why we can't do something Mm -hmm. than the desire to want to do it. So if someone wants to do something, I'll go, all right, let's do it. And I will take a couple of steps forward quickly because that creates momentum. And the ignorance of just bowling forward will often have the person at the other end of the phone, the meeting, going, uh, okay. And they will because... And I'll tell you, when I closed down the Academia Museum in Florence, this is the museum that houses Michelangelo's David, the Mm -hmm. most famous statue in the planet. Been there, yep. Okay, so you know how... Mm -hmm. It's the only piece of Michelangelo's work outside of Rome, and it basically makes this entire museum. Yep. When I contacted him and said what I wanted to do, on the night of it actually happening, me having a table for six i closed down the museum from three o'clock in the afternoon till midnight. And I went up to the curator. I went up to the director and I said, hey, has this ever been done before? And he said, no. And I have to be honest with you. I was feeling proud. My chest was out. I was like, yeah, damn, because I'm the smooth talking handsome Brit that made it happen. <laughs> and I'm feeling all full of myself. And I said to him, I said, Ah, oh, Why? thinking he's going to go, well, no one's as connected as you, Steve. No one's as smooth as you, Steve. Do you know the little bastard turned around to me and he went, no one's ever asked.
1: Wow. There's such a lesson there though, man.
0: Yeah. Oh, it crumbled me. Wow. Um, And I was like, damn, we don't, as as a, a breed, as a tribe, we don't ask for what we want. We ask for what we think we can achieve. We ask for what we think... We can settle at. We don't ask for what we dream of. And we end up, and this is, this is criminal now, we end up diluting our dreams and passions and going for what we think we can get. Mm-hmm. And again, my power of ignorance, if I have dreamt it, I'm going to go for it. Now, as I said, I may not always get it, mm-hmm.
1: but I will be two galaxies ahead of where I started from. Wow. I mean, that is truly a superpower. Uh, not only the ignorance to ask for anything without holding back, but also just it's so empowering to think to, for you to put in a row the things that you've accomplished and then to say, if I can do that, imagine what else I could do. So in order to do this, you really need one hell of a network. Where did you even begin to assemble a network that allows you to pull things off like this? Now, you're right. You do need that network but I
0: never had it to start with. Mm. So, you know, you're correct. And bearing in mind, to give a brief history, I left school at the age of 15 and started working on my dad's building site. Mm -hmm. I then bounced off of all the jobs from truck drivers to -to door-to-door salesmen. We often joke about that. Can you imagine me knocking on your door at (laughs) 8 o'clock at night? You ain't going to open the door. But I tried it, and I tried so many different things. I ended up, and you'll probably understand this one, I ended up as a bouncer on a, on a nightclub front sure, door. Sure, You know, it seemed as though that's what God built me for. Yeah, you the um, apart. Exactly. Um, but it was from there, strangely enough, that I got a pedestal to watch humanity. Mm. I could actually stand on the door with my fellow meathead, and as guys and girls were walking up to me, I could guess, are they on a hen night? Are they celebrating a contract? Are those guys on the pool? Are those guys looking for trouble? Are the girls looking out for the sugar daddies? Are the girls looking are out for a school reunion? You know, I would guess in my head, based on that composure, the talkability within the group. And I as they would turn up, I'd be like, evening guys, what are we celebrating tonight? And I'd be like, oh, we got this contract. Or, oh, it's a school reunion. And I'd be like, yeah, I got it right. It gave me the pedestal to notice and to watch people's body language and from there, I then took what I knew, which was where all the nightclubs were. It took that for me to be able to go and approach people that I wanted to hang around with and only affluent people. Why? Because who can who can sell anything to a poor person? Yeah. No yeah. one. But here's the dumb thing. Me and you, we've been on stages. We've been around network marketers. We've been around many different up, uh, startup companies we all know what it's like to be poor. Mm-hmm. We all know people build these products and then when they market, they talk to the tribe that they know, which is i.e., people with no money. Yep. Okay. Yep. I, it's always startled me. Whenever I consult with people, first thing you notice is that they are marketing and messaging down. Yeah. You should always market a message up. So when I wanted to get people in the clubs, when I wanted to get people in the premieres, I would look for the richest dude in the nightclub and go, hey, you seem as though you like the party what are you doing Thursday night? I may be able to get you into this premiere. And they'd be like, dude, you know, I'd like that. And I'll say, I'll make a phone call. And then I'll go to the toilet or go and stand on the door for another half hour. Come back to him and go, I've made it happen. 500 bucks each and your names are the... (laughs) And I started doing that. And I was trying to give people a reason to talk to me. Um, And that's how it started. My my network started growing. I only ever aimed messages and sold up. Yeah. and that's how I now
1: get to work with billionaires. And, and that's why Forbes called me the real-life Wizard of Oz. And so it was kind of a, a hustle to begin with. When did you say, this is a real business? Like, I'm going all in on this.
0: Nah, it still is a hustle. <laughs> um, it's, uh, and, and isn't it funny how hustle is good now? Yeah. yeah. I, I actually remember um, getting into trouble at school. And I was, you know, I was in an East London school, so it wasn't exactly Bel Air. Um, and I got in trouble with a friend of mine. I can't even remember what we were doing. Obviously, you know, not paying attention. And it wasn't any kind of private school. Um, and we got pulled into the headmaster's office. And the headmaster at that time caned people. Wow. You know, you're not even allowed to yell at the bloody I kids know. now because they need a fucking safe zone to go and get real with their feelings. I was dragged into the headmaster's office. He pulls this cane out, makes you hold your hand out. And he he literally gave you like 10 lashings on your palm of your hand with this cane. And do you know they hurt? But halfway through the cane, he yelled at me and he said, you're nothing but a hustler, Sims." Mm. And I remember at the time being like 14 years old going, why is that a bad thing? Yeah. And now if someone sends you a resume and said, I'll be the best hustler in your company, Hire you're like, I'm, I'm you, you're in, man. Yep. Yep. So it was weird. I was doing it at the time to create my circle of five. Mm-hmm. I was only communicating with these people and I was getting that commitment through payment. But I was looking to find a way of building up a Rolodex um, to have affluent people in my network. Mm -hmm. To know affluent people. My goal was to ask those affluent people for a job. Ah. Do you know the funny thing is that I never did that. I ended up building up my own industry, my own career. And it was my wife. I was working with Ferrari. Mm -hmm. Okay, this little brand from Italy. Mm -hmm. And I was doing a major event for them at the Monaco Formula One Grand Prix. And I said to my wife, I'm and this was seven years after I started working on The Door. Okay. I was now working for some of the biggest brands, some of the most affluent people in the planet. And I'm headlining a, a party for the biggest auto brand in the world. And I actually said to my wife, on this boat, there's going to be a lot of powerful people. I may be able to get a job tonight, darling. Wow. And it was my wife that turned around. She said, you've had a job for seven years. And and it was her that turned around. She said, why put effort into getting something that you're not good at while you just still fo- You should be focused on what you are. Thank and God for my the wife. women in our lives, right? That girl has been with me. She's like five foot four of terrifying. <laughs> um, and she certainly has me under her thumb. Um, and all of my tattoos actually, you know, have her name on them yeah, yeah. somewhere. But um, I met her when she was like 17 and I was 18 years old. And she's... Uh, She's steered me by it
1: ever since. Man, I tell you what, I'd be lost with it without Lori and, and without her getting my back and you know, keeping me from making boneheaded decisions and all that stuff. So that's, that yeah. in itself is have, having a superpower, having a good woman behind you. So here's what I, what I want to ask is everybody right now, they're listening. They're like, this sounds cool, but I don't think I have this in me. And there's actually <laughs> skill sets. There's actually processes that can bring people... Um, to this type of level of being able to ask and make connections and get things done. And, and that's what you write about in Blue Fishing, your book, The Art of Making yep. Things Happen. So what are some tips from there uh, that would help people unquestionably make things happen in their life?
0: All right. so there's there, Okay, good question. And let's start. Uh, we're breaking down to two points, okay? The first one, breathe after a request. Okay? Now, I said to you earlier that people will say what they want And then they will go into a a barrage of why it can't happen, Mm -hmm. okay? Make the request and then hold your breath. I want to play piano with Elton John. Mm. Shut up. Let it absorb, okay? Let it go in, okay? Don't allow the neggy monkey, the negative monkey on your shoulder to give you all the reasons why it can't be done. If you listen to that person, you're going to be right, okay? So make a statement, make an announcement that you want, and then go, I want to do this. Mm, shut up, okay? And then the next thing, create momentum, okay? When momentum builds up, now, I went through the, uh, the academia fund door, okay, with so much momentum, it was like me going through the door with a tank, mm-hmm. Okay. There was nothing delicate about it. I made calls. I made connections. But I I created momentum. When I wanted to get a couple of people married in the Vatican, I knew no I knew, knew, no one. No, my tongues. I knew no one in the Vatican. I sure as shit didn't know the Pope. Okay? So I had no way of sending a text and going, hey, can you open up the door? I had none of that. But what would have been the point of me phoning someone in Idaho? I need the Vatican. Mm-hmm. I need someone in Rome. Here's another funny thing. I didn't really know anyone in Rome. Mm-hmm. All of my connections were like North Italy, Milan, Florence, Bologna, Sicily. I happened to have no tight connections in Rome. So I went to Florence, which was one of the, you know, the strong cities of, of Italy. And I started making phone calls. And I said, hey, this is what needs to happen. Not this is what I'd like to mm-hmm. happen. You know, we don't get what we like. We don't get what we want. We get what we need. We need to pay the mortgage at the end of the month. Guess what we end up doing? Just barely paying the mortgage. But you did it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. We do what we need. We don't do what we want. So turn your wants into a need. I need to make this happen. Who do I need to know that's going to get me one step closer? Not seal the deal. Mm -hmm. Going to get me one step closer. So I ended up phoning like about five or six people in Florence. And one of the families went, I know who you need. Mm. I said, can you make that introduction? I'll make it this afternoon, Steve. I started creating momentum. I went down so many paths that would then get me nowhere because they didn't have the authority. But they knew someone that did. An introduction. You don't walk onto the roof. You get there by climbing a ladder. You don't get up Mount Everest without first starting at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Too many people go, how do I walk onto the peak? How do I walk onto the roof? How do I stand on the elephant? You start by standing next to it. And that's what so many people don't realize. They think that there's some kind of magical weapon. And today with social, we can go onto social and we can literally contact Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Elon Musk, with a tweet, with a message, with a DM. And if we make it scintillating, engaging, uh, and focused enough, you may get a response. So while people are out there going, oh, I don't have the connections, shut up. You've got all of these social platforms that maybe your problem isn't the connection, maybe it's the message. Mm. Okay? So focus on the, not, oh, this could never happen. Why does this need to happen? I love. Why that must want this to happen? That's amazing. You are changing the focus, and you are changing the engine, and you are shoving some rockets on that knee. And you, this bitch is powered. And then when you go forward and say, "Hey, I need to have this museum closed down on Wednesday," don't ask, "Can that happen?" Yeah. Please, like a meek little wanker. Yeah. You go. What needs to go on for me to
1: get that place on Wednesday? man, this is both motivating and valuable. And really what you're talking about is communicating. And you talked about if you were to slide into someone's DM and make it, you know, tintalizing enough and, and, you know, catch their eye enough. And I actually saw you speak once and you said something like, we've gotten so technical with the way that we communicate with people that we've actually really lost the ability to truly communicate with people. How are you so good at communicating and, and how can we get better at it? Yeah, I'm not. Um, and here's the funny thing.
0: Uh, you've seen me speak mm-hmm. you know we know each other we've been on the same stages we've shared time together i'm not the most eloquent smooth sophisticated warm and fuzzy guy in the planet but i'm very easy to understand mm-hmm. okay i'm i'm very easy to understand and I'm very transparent. Mm-hmm. I want this and I can bring this to the table. When you meet me, you know very quickly whether or not it's going to work or it's not going to work, whether or not you're going to communicate with me or whether you're not going to communicate with me. The thing is, that transparency has helped me. In a world where people are losing the ability to communicate, I'm looking fantastic. Mm-hmm. And they always say, that in a sea of blind men, the one-eyed man is king. I've become so good because everyone else has become so bad. Wow. We're in a society now that if we meet people under the age of 30 years old, 9 times out of 10 we're going to be confronted with the top of their head yeah. before we're confronted with our eyeballs. Yep. You go into if you want to be arrested, you walk into a coffee shop and strike up a conversation with someone
1: <laughs> and Total they stranger. will look at
0: they will look at you like they think you're going to rape their mum. Yep. You know, they'll be like, what are you doing? And When I used to do, um, I used to do these examples on, on my events. I used to take people and do different things to get them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I believe we need to get uncomfortable because that's where our growth is, which is good yeah. because the days that we're in now today, we're uncomfortable. And I would take them into a coffee shop and I'd say, right, order a coffee and then strike up a conversation with the person next to you. Wow. And the same thing would happen every single time. And here's the thing. When someone's on the phone in a coffee shop, they hold the phone with two hands, don't they? Mm-hmm. Now, if you take that phone out of their hands while they're in that stance, they've got their guard up like they're a boxer. Yeah. Yep. Psychologically, they're in a defensive position and you're trying to penetrate with the conversation. It's very, very tough to do, but we need to do it because everyone is losing the ability. I'm hoping coronavirus is going to do a reset yep. because we're all yelling that we want to get out there and talk to each other. Well, let's be serious, Sonny. We weren't talking to each other six months nope. ago. Nope. In fact, we were asswipes wipes and we wouldn't communicate.
1: We wouldn't talk. What would we do? We'd post it on Facebook and hope everyone got the message. It's funny. You talk about these exercises where you make people uncomfortable. I know you run these uh, speakeasy events, which are kind of like a few-day mastermind, but it's different than what other people do. Are those some of the things that you do at these events? Do you help people get uncomfortable? Or, or how do you create change at those? Uh, 100%. Here's the daft thing. And um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not pitching it,
0: uh, but I would tell anybody to do the same as what I'm doing. I run a speakeasy at different locations throughout America. Mm-hmm. I've done them at Silicon Valley. I've done them in uh, New York, San Diego, LA, Las Vegas. The last one was at Las Vegas. Next one's in Nashville. And there it's the dates and the payment. And that's $2,000 per person. So they're not cheap events to get into. But the funny thing is, I tell them nothing more. So when someone pays, then they get contacted by me or one of my team. And we go, hey, Chris, I saw you paid for the uh, Speakeasy Nashville. Why'd you do that? What's your problem? Mm. And I want to know what your issue is. And then what I'll do is during those two days, during it, we're going to focus on solving your problem. But nine times out of 10, we're going to solve it by first getting you in a position of disruptive nature, getting you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Because then we can realign you. People are stuck in habits. People are stuck in ruts. The best way to get a new rut is to get them disrupted, get them uncomfortable. And we can do that by literally putting them in environments that they never thought they would be. And some of the things that I've done is I've had people uh, have a private tour of the Tesla factory. Mm-hmm. I've had a, um, conversa- a, sa- a conversation about AI and chatbots with the founder of Chat. Wow. Reno. Reno was funny because I did speak easy Reno. And here's the thing, I never repeat my events so I can talk about this one, because if you weren't on it, you ain't going to mm-hmm. get it again. I did Speakeasy Reno. Now, for anyone living in Reno, I apologize, but why? (laughs) You know, that's that's the why. Um, And so we had Speakeasy Reno, $2,000, and we never allow more than 40 people to turn up. On this one, we actually only allowed a maximum of 20 to turn up. So we went, oh, yeah, why are you there? Well, you know, I wanted to try something, you know. They had to meet us at the north door. And I forget what the, the casino was called. I think it started with an F, Flamingo or Fountain or oh, okay. something equally as cheesy as that. Um, and they had to be there at 8.45 in the morning to get on the bus. Okay. And I get on the bus and there's 20 people that have spent two grand that have no idea what they're doing. So in the morning... We had a private tour of Elon Musk's Factory with the CEO wow. of, of Elon Musk's founder. So pretty big deal. Yeah. And they went through what they're doing in the Gigafactory. The Gigafactory is the largest single building in the world. And there's one other building that's going to actually beat that one very soon. And guess what? It's theirs. They're wow. building a building bigger than their own. I had no idea. So we did. Yeah, we had a private tour of that place. Afterwards, we were handed the keys to their Teslas, in which we were allowed to do four laps of their building. And that building's huge. It was like an eight-minute lap, you know? So we had all of this. Then they get back in the bus. And in the afternoon, I took them to the world-famous Bunny Ranch brothel. No way. So all the, 20 people. in All 20 people I took to a brothel. So in the morning, they saw the newest technology and industry in the world. In the afternoon, they saw the oldest, the oldest. And what we did was we had the girls from the Bunny ranch, and it was beautiful. Now, I thought most people would have loved the Giga, Giga factory. Yeah. everyone, even though it was very uncomfortable. again, I get you uncomfortable. everyone preferred the Bunny ranch in the afternoon. Wow. Because we took the afternoon talking about eye contact, body mm. language, communication. Recognizing social skills. And who's better than a hooker about to sell her products? Yeah. So she, she has to strike
1: that like that immediate rapport, right?
0: She has to go out. Now, they were saying that they would go out in front of these guys and they would line up. So they would be often like six or seven girls lined up in front of one client. That girl has to recognize straight off the bat two things. Will there be a connection? Can they afford me? Wow. You know, quickly. And then how to catch the guy's eye, how to get the eye contact, how to give the smirk, what's he looking for? What's his body language? Does he handle himself like he's been in an environment like this before? Or is he a petrified little deer in headlights? All of those things. And there was one conversation we had where there was one of the head buyers of a major jewelry firm on one of our panels, conversing with one of the girls on how to sell the reaction, not the product. Ah, okay. Now you know you're going into um, a, a brothel to have sex, mm-hmm. okay? But what they were talking about was not the art of se- sexy sex. It yeah. goes in a couple of places and that's <laughs> it. But how can or it should only go in a couple of places? Let's not go into that. Um, but what reaction, what connection, what emotion is the person going to leave the room with? And the jeweler said that they never sell an engagement ring. They sell the reaction of the girl that opens up the box. And when they hand the ring, they don't go, hey, this is a 50 grand ring. They hand the hand the ring to the guy and go, can you answer me a question, sir? What reaction is she going to have when she opens up the box and sees this ring? Wow. They're selling the reaction. They're selling an the emotion. So seeing the head of a major jewelry firm, having a phenomenal conversation with one of the leading um hookers at this brothel was just phenomenal. So that's the kind of thing that we do in our speakings.
1: Did anybody absolutely panic when you guys pulled up?
0: Everyone. Um, (laughs) As the bus was turning up, and I was at the front of the bus, one of the people were with me, and it just so happened on this event, 60% of the bus were women. Okay? So as we were pulling up to the bus, one of the guys leant forward, tapped me on the shoulder, and he went, we're going into the buddy ranch," And I went, yeah. And he went, this is either going to go real well or real south fast. (laughs) And I went, yeah, let's see. And I'm not kidding you. As we pulled up to the Giga Factory, it was all kind of, ooh, oh, wow. Can't believe we're going, oh, dead silence as we pulled up to the bottle. And I'm sitting there going, this, I may have pushed things a bit too far, (laughs) you know? And when we got out, silence. And when we went in, silence and a few little giggles turned into a couple of little comments, turned into a few jokes. And before you knew it, everyone was smiling. Everyone was equally uncomfortable and it started to light up and it was great fun. And when we, they have themed rooms there. And when we went into a couple of rooms, one of the girls turned around and said, what is that chair? Because it was a chair with bumps in it to put, put you in different angles. And the girl went, oh, it does this, it does this, it deepens the penetration, blah, blah, blah. And one of the girls turned around and went, can I sit in it and get a photograph? And as soon as she did that, it gave everyone permission to laugh and mm. joke. Everyone's sitting in the chairs and and it all went well. But I, I've got to admit, for the first 10 minutes of me turning up, I was thinking, is this the last speakeasy I ever throw? Um, but uh, thankfully, no, it wasn't the case. I love it. When's the Nashville one? Uh, Nashville, Nashville's still in the early part of July, okay, because we're still two and a half months off of uh, where we are now. Yep. So, and we only ever have forty people there. So, again, it's a small group. So, it's not like a concert. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, we're
1: paying attention to what's going on with coronavirus. That's very cool. I know you didn't come on here to sell it, but where can people get information on it? <laughs> where can they go and get very little information on it? Um, <laughs> yeah. If
0: they, yeah, it's and and I I I would advise everyone. To look at this page and look at its simplicity, and then try and do that in your job. You know, try and see how the power of anticipation and seduction can actually get more people in. Um, It's at stevedsims.com. Steve D for dog, Sims. And there's only one M in Sims. Stevedsims.com. And click on the link that says speakeasy and then roll around laughing. Uh, how people will actually pay two grand for such little information, but they do. Well, We've I sold mean, out every single event.
1: Number one, you got a great reputation for creating change. And number two, I think the mystery is, is intriguing. So I think it's brilliant. It's awesome. What a great event. So you mentioned a couple times Corona, and then you mentioned the timing of your event. Um, a lot of people right now are facing a lot of uncertainty. And we've spoken about failure already in the show. I think we're going to see a lot of business failures, maybe some relationship failures, uh, some personal dreams failing temporarily. And you said something once that I I absolutely loved. You said any successful room is a room of failures that didn't allow those failures to define them. And I think you even called them serial failures. Like the people in the room be serial failures, right? I love that. Okay, so talk to me about people that are facing this crisis economy and people that think maybe their dreams are put on hold and what they should be focused on.
0: Yeah, um, is now a downtime? Is now a catastrophe? Is now a bad moment in our life? Or is now an opportunity? Now, we've been told that we've got a lockdown, okay? And those those relationships that have failed I do question, were they as strong to start with? you know, Because for a lot of people that go out to work, their wife's out to work, the husband's out to work, they don't see each other for eight hours a day. Maybe after hours, they go out with their mates and get a drink. They come back. They get to be with their partner maybe three hours in the day or maybe two hours of those arguing with the bloody kids. Okay? Now they are locked down with their family. They get the chance to really look into that relationship and go, hey, are we as strong as what we convinced ourselves we were? So those relationships have failed. Maybe they weren't the right relationship to start with. Business-wise, every major business has come usually from a mistake, has usually come from some kind of dark need, some situation has got to be solved. Wouldn't you have loved uh, two months ago to have bought shares in Zoom? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you have loved to have bought shares in FaceTime and Apple? Yep. Wouldn't you have loved to have bought shares... In a shaman toilet roll mm-hmm. or pull, Purcell uh, hand sanitizer, wouldn't you?
1: Yep, heck yeah. Th- Dorma knows. Missed opportunity because
0: we didn't. We absolutely didn't. I've always said that the richest man on a rainy day is the guy selling an umbrella. Yep. Okay. There's opportunity today. It's really just in your mindset as to whether or not you recognize it or not. Now, I own one of the largest travel companies in America. And it's it's stopped. Mm-hmm. It's dead in the water. We can't sell tra- we can't sell travel if we wanted to mm-hmm. because no one can physically go anywhere. But it's given me the opportunity to look at every moving particle of that business to see are there any are there any chunks in it? Are there any bad? Now here's the beautiful thing: it doesn't matter what business you're in. We can all agree that the past few years. We've been traveling at 200 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Anyone that's listening to your show and following you is an entrepreneur that has had eyeballs laser focused forward and has that foot hard on the gas. Occasionally, we look left and right to see the view, but we've never looked at our feet or looked behind us. Why? Because the second we do that, we slow down and one of our competitors overtakes us. Okay? The competitor can't go anywhere that you're not going at the moment. Now is the time you look at your CRM, you look at your flow, you look at your chatbot, you look at your systems, you look at your automation, you look at your message. Does my message solve the problem that I believe it solves, but more importantly, that my tribe thinks it's solved? You can often have a message that is being received in a completely different fashion. People can look at you and go, Oh, he's the guy that does that when you think you're the guy that does something completely different. So now's a beautiful time, a beautiful time for you to look in your arsenal of tricks and tips and tools and to work out whether or not they're all sharpened. No one sharpens that knife on the battlefield. We sharpen it beforehand, and we know that we're on the arse end of coronavirus. We know that. I'm not a doctor, but we know that we're over the peak. We know that there's a vaccine being built. We know that in three years' time, this will be a meme. This will be a story that we'll tell the kids. We know in two years' time, probably the same. Maybe it's in six months. Maybe it's in three months. Maybe a vaccine comes up next week. But it's how you handle today that's going to dictate how you're going to react on the battlefield. So I I am going to be arrogant and say that today is a phenomenal opportunity. It's given me more time to spend with the kids, more time to spend with the woman that I desperately love. It's given me reaffirmation that this is the people I want to spend the rest of my life with. And it's actually increased my tribe. It's increased my connectivity and it's sharpened my message. So now is not a time to fail. Now is time to refine yourself and define who you want to be and to define whether or not you're in a position that you wanted to be from a year
1: past. I love that. I absolutely love it. It's such a better, healthier place to focus. I love the idea of analyzing every single thing in your foundation. Are you doing yep. it correct? Are you not? Fix it right now while other people aren't passing you by. Is there anything else outside of you analyzing everything in your business foundation that you see as an opportunity coming up that you're excited about?
0: Oh, t- tons. Um... We have, got, we have got a circus ahead of us. When they open up the, uh, uh, the, the, the flaps and they open up the floodgates and they turn the lights back on, are you telling me that anyone's going to be home?
1: No. Be pent up the man galore to get out
0: and consume. It's, we are a consumption based society. Now, this is an actual fact. The first day that China opened up its stores, Hermes sold over $2 million throughout China in one day. Wow. So tell me we're in a recession. Tell me that luxury's not going to be reselling. And I'll tell you bullshit. We are a consumption-based society. The second the lights go on, and we've never had this before, we didn't have it in 9-11. We could still go out to a restaurant and mourn a loss. We didn't have it in a recession. We could still go out and try and cheer ourselves up with a pint and with our mates. We've never had that situation before. We're a consumption-based society that want to eat, drink, drive cars, wear clothes, look better, look higher than what we maybe are. We are going to go for a free fall. So my question is, are you ready to capture some of that demand? Yes,
1: yes. And there's going to be so much liquidity in the system at that point. Yes, we might be in a recession. Yes, there might be a large group of people that can't spend. But the people that can spend, there's going to be so damn much liquidity in the system combined with this pent-up demand. It's going to be like taking candy from a baby if you're prepared for it.
0: Well, let's go back to what we said earlier. And if anyone wants to rewind at this podcast, and this is a great podcast, by the way. This, this is beautiful. You're, you're awesome at this. Thank you. Let's rewind. When I said you sell something and you solve a problem, I said you sell up. Mm-hmm. You don't sell down. Now, I'm going to be an obnoxious prick now, okay? The poor folks that sadly have lost their jobs where they were waiting on tables, where they were cooking, where they were cleaning the service industry. Are they your clients? The poor folk that sadly are being most impacted today, was that who you were aiming to sell your goods to, to get your house in Malibu? No. The liquidity is still there. And again, relate it back to 9-11. When 9-11 happened, I still had to pay my mortgage at the end of the month. When the recession hit, I still had to pay my car payment, I still had to pay for my house, even though both of those things were worth less than what I was paying for them, yep. I still had to pay most people's mortgage I got a letter today uh, from my credit card company, which I'm still paying, and they turned around and said, "Don't worry, you ain't got to pay it for a few months." Everyone has we've my mortgage company contacted me within the first month and said, "Hey, because of the coronavirus, you ain't got to pay for the next three months to me I'm still earning. But a lot of our obligations and liabilities have actually been postponed. There's payroll protection plan Mm -hmm. coming out there. There's SBA loan money coming out there. There's all these ways of stimulating the economy. Now that's stimulating the economy, but we don't have to pay the debt. We don't have to pay the debt at the moment for three. So we're accumulating. When we come out the arse end of this in two months, three months, 15 days, whenever it is, people are going to consume. And those people that have the money and that are making the opportunities out of today, that's your market. Not sadly, the guy that can't get his job back from washing dishes and dominoes.
1: Mm-hmm. Man, that's inspiring. I couldn't agree with you more. I love your vision of this. Um, I want to change directions real quick. Uh, we talk a lot about generosity on the show. And it could, I couldn't help but think about this one app called Charity Buzz, where they auction off like once-in-a-lifetime experiences and that kind of thing for charity. Have you ever done or ever thought about doing uh, something for charity uh, with these one-of-a-kind experiences that you're able to create? Blue Cause. I launched Blue Cause,
0: um, I think, in 2003 or 2004. Closed it about five years later. Um, I'm not going to name names, but the companies that sell charitable um, auction experiences, by law, they can retain up to 51% of the proceeds that they raise. So by the time it gets to charity, they actually haven't got as much as as you think. I launched Blue Cause to do a zero admin um, funding where we would take not a dollar. The red tape that I had to jump through, the bond that I had to purchase just to do that business meant that I was strangling myself for air. Sadly, I had to close it down because so many things are done fraudulently through charities. I'm not naming the companies or or mentioning or confirming it's the one that you mentioned. Um, But sadly, a lot of these charitable companies make a shit ton of money from the money they actually raise. And while it's good, and you could argue that the charities are getting money that maybe they wouldn't have got, I think the government should limit the amount of money they can actually take. You know, knock it down to 20% for marketing costs. But it was actually when we did it, the law said that they could, they could, they could take and withhold up to 51% for admin, marketing, and all costs
1: associated with the money you raise. So obviously, you had a really good heart for you to have... Um, you had that, was it five years, six years, something I like that. did it for five years. And in fact, I ended up supporting...
0: Uh, a lot of major events. um, And I still do it in different ways. Like I've been a great supporter and marketer for Sir Elton John's um, AIDS Foundation uh, for eight years now. So I believe it's best to try and get a relationship as direct as possible with these foundations. Um, But also, I believe that you should also be selfish. Mm -hmm. And that's going to sound funny for me to tell you to be selfish while giving, okay? Here's the bottom line. You're on a plane, and we will be again in the future. You're on a plane, and the host or the hostess stands up, and they've got this plastic air mask, and they go, in case of an emergency, an oxygen mask is going to drop. When was the last time you heard that stewardess turn around and go, oh, and put it on someone else before you put it on yourself? Never. Focus on your family. Focus on your mortgage. Focus on your revenues. Focus on your emergency fund for when this kind of thing happens again. And then when you are safe, when you are secure, then you can focus on elsewhere. I have personal foundations that I like. I I think you may know I go to prison three times a year uh, to help train inmates to go back into um, legal, productive, entrepreneurial uh, businesses again. So I, I focus on things that are near and dear to me. And I suggest that everyone else there you don't have to be buying a signed football from you know whoever to support. And here's the daft thing: let's be completely blunt. Most people don't give a rat's ass what charity it's supporting. They just want the autograph, member B, or they just want to hang out with with uh, Justin Bieber or Elon Musk, and that's fine. But don't tell me it's because you want to save the the seals. You're doing it for your own gain. That's fantastic. But charity stuff.
1: That's a weird kind of dog, I'm afraid. Where'd your your giving heart? Where'd your generosity come from?
0: There was an episode on friends that said there's no selfless giving and that we all do it for us. And I do it for me. Whenever I go to prison and I help train inmates to do things that are productive, I walk out of one of the highest level security prisons. And you should come. You would love this. I would love that. I come out richer. The sky is bluer. The grass is greener. I go home, the world's richest man, after walking out of an environment where someone doesn't have anything. So I'm doing it for selfish reasons. When I can help charities find cures, when I can help children's hospitals, I'm doing it uh, selfishly for me. I want to make sure that one kid gets out of a hospital, no matter how freaking nice it is in there, and what toys and color the walls are, I want a kid to walk in there, get plugged with a vaccine, and get the fuck out of there as fast as possible. And if I can do anything to help that speed up, then I'm doing it for selfish reasons. Man,
1: I love it. I love it. Okay, Uh, before I ask you the last question, where can we find you? Where can we plug into you? I know you got a cool Facebook group and some other things where you're selfishly, to stick with the theme, helping others out. So I have an entrepreneur's
0: advantage with Steve Sims, and I post all the things up there that work for me. And more often, I post up the things that don't. Mm -hmm. I believe we can learn a lot from things that don't work. And I believe our greatest growth Comes from our greatest mistakes and failures. So I always share what's going on. So that's an entrepreneur's advantage with Steve Sims. You can Google me at Steve D Sims. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, you know, Twitter. I've opened up a TikTok account, you know, but I'm not dancing. Uh, LinkedIn, I'm all over the place. You know, I'm, I'm out there wide and wide and uh, all over the place.
1: You guys definitely go follow Steve. He's an incredible human being. And, and not only will he motivate you, not only will he give you value. Uh, but I just love his perspective of the world. And I just love how direct you are about it as well. So here's the last question. Give me a okay. reason why people should be unapologetic about their pursuit of success.
0: Well, it's back to the selfish. I don't understand why you would apologize for something that's wrong. No. Now, if you going after success hurts someone, then you know you, you should go to jail. But if your pursuit of success will help your wife, your kids, you, your mum, your dad, your employees, their husbands and wives, their kids, then fuck, they should give you a medal. No one should apologize. Apologizing, sadly, and in today's environment, we're so concerned about what we say that will offend someone, we decide not to say anything. So you won't get an apology from me. This is it. If you like it, great. If it's helped you, great. If it's offended you, eh, turn me off and listen to someone else.
1: I love it, man. Thank you so much for everything today. You truly gave so much knowledge, so much motivation. I love your perspective that this is nothing but opportunity in front of us right now and it's going to help a lot of people.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.